don't know who picked that picture. Can you throw that picture up there one more time? That last one. Um, but I want you to keep that image in, in your mind today. Our God holds the world in His hand. And I know that it talked about the land of the promise. But remember when the Israelites went to the land of the promise? Um, it wasn't smooth sailing, was it? There was that whole Red Sea moment. There was that whole there's no water in the desert moment. There was that whole uh, armies with uh, giants in the land moment. And God wanted them to trust Him in the midst of those hardships to get into the land of promise. So don't think that the land of promise is just smooth sailing. So just keep that picture in mind. Uh, We're going to go ahead and dismiss our our children. Uh, Their teachers are out in the foyer area and they can go ahead out there. Parents, if you want to take them, you sure can. Uh, Or if you just want to send them, if they're regulars here and they know where they're going and uh, you trust them to get there, you can go ahead and just send them on out. If you are going to stay in here with us, and I hope you do, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, you got your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're going to talk about um, what I've called armed and ready, armed and ready. Um, We're in a series that I've called Golden Nuggets from the Epistles, these passages of Scripture that uh, just seem to stick out to us. But here's what I found about the Word uh, at the word of the Lord can, different things can stick out at different times in our lives. Have you ever noticed that? Um, there's a passage of scripture maybe that you have read or heard a dozen times or more, and all of a sudden you're in the midst of a, a trial or something you've never faced before, and that scripture all of a sudden becomes so real, and you're like, how did I not see that before? Anybody but me ever done that? You, you done that? Where it's just like, boom. And so these gold nuggets may speak to you. Um, maybe a little bit of a ring if we can bring that down just a little. Just in case I get excited. I've been known to do that in the past. But today we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. And um, I've, I've entitled it, like I said, Armed and Ready. And the context of what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 4 is this idea of suffering. I'll just say it. I know that we don't like it. Uh, I know that in America, we choose the path of least resistance every chance we get. We don't like to wait. We don't like to uh, do anything that's difficult. Uh, We want to lose weight, but we want to do it, you know, quickly and painlessly. I mean, we want the diet that's going to, you know, I want abs of of steel. Uh, I want that little machine I just put on while I'm watching TV. It just exercises my abs. I mean, you you know what I'm talking about? That is what we are as a society. We just, we want to do, uh, we want to reap benefits where we haven't sown anything. Um, That's what we've become. And it's, it's called an entitlement society where I'm entitled to get stuff for nothing just because of who I am. I'm an American and I deserve this. Uh, And that has creeped into just about every area of our lives. And it's a dangerous place. Um, People constantly want money that they did not earn. I was in line just the other day and uh, the lady in front of me bought two uh, lottery tickets. And I just thought, huh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I want money that I didn't earn. I mean, I could work and save and earn and become a millionaire that way and actually use my money wisely, and, or I could you know, get rich quick through the lottery some chance and probably end up going bankrupt. Did you know that most people that win the lottery end up going bankrupt? Because they don't know how to handle the money. They didn't earn it. They didn't build it up over time, so they don't know how to handle it. 
But people that acquire their wealth by working and saving and investing and doing right things over time, that didn't work jobs where they got paid six figures, they just did it right for a long period of time. Those people pass on wealth to their children. I don't know, that wasn't part of this, but uh, maybe you needed to hear that, but I needed to hear that. So Peter, in this book, spends a lot of time talking about suffering. And uh, that's interesting to me because Peter's a guy that doesn't like to suffer. Um, if you remember his arrogance back in the, the Gospels and he just constantly, I'm Jesus, I'm going to stand with you no matter what. But then the moment that a little slave girl points out that he was with Jesus, what does Peter do? He denies Jesus, denies even knowing him, calls down curses on himself. I don't know the man. And Jesus had predicted it was going to happen, but Peter vehemently denied it. No, no, even if everybody else falls away, everybody else falls away, I won't fall away. And he denied him three times. So Jesus, when he restored Peter in John chapter 21, you remember the story, walking along the lake three times, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times, Jesus is, Peter's like, Jesus, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? And at the end of that passage, this is what he says to Peter. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. You did whatever your desires wanted, Peter. But when you are old, now don't get hung up with that young and old, okay? Young and old doesn't have to necessarily mean Peter's age. It can just mean Peter's maturity level. When you grow up, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by the, the kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter was crucified for the Lord. He was martyred for his faith. He did not want to be crucified right side up, history tells us. So they crucified him upside down. He didn't think he deserved to die in the same manner that the Lord died. So he wanted to be crucified upside down. This from the guy that like ran from the slave girl. That kind of boldness, this kind of uh, power. And so when Peter's talking throughout his book about suffering, uh, this isn't some crazy guy that just like, uh, we know where Peter came from. And yet Peter learned a truth that took him from where he was to where he was able to be crucified upside down for the Lord, martyred for his faith. And suffering was the process by how he got there. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to set up 1 Peter chapter 4, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, he's talking to slaves. And he says, slaves, those of you that are Christians and you're slaves, do what your masters tell you. Be obedient to them. That's your will. That's what God's will for you as a slave. Do what your master tells you. Not just the kind ones. Look what he says. Not just the reasonable ones. But even if they're cruel. Even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will. You patiently endure just, unjust treatment. Notice it does not say, God is pleased when you patiently endure unjust treatment. He is pleased when conscious of his will. What's that mean? That means the picture. He's got me in his hand. I don't understand why I'm being treated unfairly right now. I don't know why I'm suffering in this manner. But I do know this. I am conscious that he is Lord of all. And so now my reactions can be completely different than someone who does not have that idea. 
When someone is treated unfairly and they do not believe that God holds everything in their hands, they have to be reactionary. They have to be protective. They have got to go into attack mode because I got to protect myself. I got to guard what's mine. We don't have to do that because we know he has us right where he wants us. There can be a peace in the midst of it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to like it anymore. In fact, your flesh is going to cry out, attack mode, protect, go, ah. But your spirit, hopefully, is going to be strong enough to overcome that. And you're going to be conscious of his will. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. Seriously? Please stop spiritualizing every problem that comes into our lives because of a dumb mistake we made. Okay? That's just a consequence. There is no, there's no spiritual benefit for that okay now we can god gives us grace and we can walk through that and he can help us out and he does he even bails us out at times when we don't deserve it but he's talking about being mistreated when you're suffering for doing what is good you're doing what christ did because christ suffered for you he is your example you must follow in his steps he never sinned he never deceived anyone he did not retaliate when he was insulted. He did not threaten revenge when he suffered, but he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Then in 1 Peter chapter 3, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Don't worry about or be afraid of their threats. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Now Christ has gone into heaven, seated at the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. I mean, we can read that verse and we like to take that part. Christ has got all authority. He's seated in heavenly places. And you know how he got there? A road marked with suffering. By not retaliating when he was insulted. See, the path to greatness in the kingdom is marked with suffering. And not just suffering, but making sure we suffer conscious of his will the way that we're supposed to. I knew you wouldn't like this. That's the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense to us. We don't think that the way up is by going down. But it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. The plan that was previously hidden, even though it was made for our ultimate glory before the world began. But if the rulers of this world have not, would have not understood it, if they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. In other words, Satan, the demons, the forces of the earth, they didn't realize that the way up is down, or they never would have crucified Jesus. The Pharisees never would have crucified Jesus if they knew what they were doing. They were exalting him by crucifying him. That's not what you do to your enemies. You don't think, how can I, how can I exalt my enemies? I mean, unless you're in the kingdom, then we start thinking that. Colossians 2, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he held, him, he was held on a cross, naked, shamed, bleeding, beaten, persecuted, publicly being ridiculed, 
But he was actually the one doing the ridiculing. He was actually the one shaming. We, we looked at him and we thought, he's being shamed. But he knew something. He had the picture of God holding everything right here. And he said, you know what, I know. I know what this is doing. And that's why he could suffer and not retaliate. That's why he went to the cross the way that he did. So I pray that we don't miss this. This is a powerful truth. 1 Peter chapter 4. Here's the nugget. So then, in light of all that he's just talked about, about suffering, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. Now, see, it doesn't say you have to arm yourself with the same pain. Okay, your pain may be different than his pain, but it's all pain at the end of the day. Okay, he's not saying you got to get crucified to a tree. He's not saying you got to earn, but he's saying you got to arm yourself with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. You, won't be, you will be anxious to do the will of God. Peter, you're not, you, when you were young, you just went wherever you wanted to. You put on whatever clothes you wanted to. You did what your own desires wanted to. But when you grow up, Peter, somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And Peter says that right here. You finished with sin. You're not going to spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. You're going to grow up in the kingdom. You're about to be promoted. And not a whole lot of people excited about that. <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, I know that we're not excited about this, but we will be by the end. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. You will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, their wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So let's go back to the nugget. We'll get to the rest of it. Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude of Christ. The word arm, this is the only place in the entire Bible this word is used. Arm yourself. It's, it literally means to prepare, to make ready, or to equip. It's literally used of putting on battle armor. Suiting up, if you will. The attitude. See, here's the thing. The attitude has got to change. The way that we suit up and face suffering is by changing the attitude. 
We have got to get our minds and our attitude in line with what Christ had as he suffered. Conscious of God's will. For the joy set before him, Hebrews tells us he endured the cross. Jesus is the one that prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nonetheless, not what I want, not my desires, but what you want to be done. Suffering. When we look at suffering, what are we talking about? I mean, there, the Bible tells us in James that there are different kinds of trials and different kinds of temptations and different kinds of, of hardships that we face. And so it's different for all of us. Sometimes it's the, the difficulties that we face at work. Sometimes it's relational problems. Sometimes it's just our own pride that gets in the way. Sometimes it's sin. There's all kinds of issues that we face and all kinds of trials and hardships. And today, I'm not here to dissect them and say, which ones come from God? Which one comes from the enemy? What, here's what I know. God holds me in his hand and he allows everything into my life. Allows. And he allows it into my life for a purpose and a plan. And if I will face it conscious of his will, knowing that he has destined me to overcome that situation, whatever that means, I can grow in him. I can grow in the kingdom. Jesus walked in this path. He didn't do what he desired. He did what the Father desired. And so ultimately, when he got to the end of his life, he could face the cross because he had a lifetime of preparing for it. He had a lifetime of crucifying his own desires and only doing what the Father told him to do so that when he got to that moment and he could face suffering, he had the right kind of attitude. He was fully equipped and prepared for that. And he suffered well. Peter tells about it. We already read it from 1 Peter chapter 2. God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example. Follow in his steps. Philippians chapter 2, we have to have the same, here's that word, attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. That means whatever argument, whatever thing that we would put out there to show our uh, to show our innocence. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to suffer in this way. I don't deserve this hardship. No matter what we throw on the table, he trumps it. He was God. He was creator. He was sinless. He was perfect. There is nothing we can throw out there that even comes close to what he threw on the table. And so we take on that same attitude that he did. He gave up his divine privileges I mean, we might have to lay down some rights. We might have to lay down some preferences. But he gave up divine privileges. Nothing, again, that we throw on the table is going to come close to comparing with what he gave up. And so he's our example. I mean, this, doesn't, this isn't supposed to shame us or make us feel. This is supposed to say, if he did this, how much more can we do? How much can he empower us and help us to do? He humbled himself to obedience and even more than that to the criminal's death on a cross. 1 John 2, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It doesn't get much more plain than that. Hebrews chapter 5, even though Jesus was God's son, I love this, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Now we have got to look at that verse because what this verse is not saying is that Jesus had to learn to be obedient. Here's what we think of as learning in America. We think that if I hear something and regurgitate it back to you that I've learned it. 
I mean, that's what we do. We, we, give, we take kids to school and we throw facts at them all day. They regurgitate those facts on a test. They get an A and they've learned it. They haven't learned anything. It's when you take the facts that you have been given and you actually apply them in real life situations that you've learned it. Okay, so it's not saying that Jesus learned obedience. He already understood the concept of obedience. But he actually proved his obedience. He learned it. He revealed his obedience in suffering. I mean, you can talk all day about what it means to be obedient, but until you're put into a position where you don't want to do something, you haven't learned obedience. I mean, it's not hard to be obedient to to your parents when they tell you stuff you want to do, right? But when they say clean your room, although for me, I, I don't know, I like that. I don't know why kids don't like that today. I mean, when your boss, oh, I love working for this boss. Man, he's so great. I mean, man, I don't have a problem doing what he asks me to do. Until he tells you to do something you don't want to do, you haven't learned to submit to them. Okay? I mean, you can't point to 99 things that you did and one thing that you didn't and say, I'm submitted to my boss. Because <laughs> you probably wanted to do all 99 of those or they made sense to you. Jesus learned or proved his obedience through suffering. How he handled that opposition, how he handled that suffering qualified him as the perfect high priest. His qualification to serve as the perfect high priest and the source of salvation for us was that he went to the cross obediently. That he didn't retaliate when he went. That he fully submitted himself to the Father's will. And he revealed his qualifications. I mean, he was already qualified. Okay, don't get that wrong. Jesus was fully qualified, but that same word, in that same sense, Jesus is now revealing his qualifications by the way that he suffered. He's proving that he's worthy of that position. As I read that, sometimes I stop and think, I wonder what God has for me that I have not yet been able to walk in because I don't yet show my qualification. Think about that. What position in the kingdom, what area of ministry, what anything does God want me to know, understand, or walk in, but because of how I suffer, I haven't shown my qualification yet. Because I've mishandled when someone pulled out in front of me in traffic, ouch. I mean, what comes out of our mouth? I mean, granted, we're talking about traffic versus the cross. But here's the thing. If I mishandle that, I'm going to mishandle that. If I mishandle the person who falsely accuses me, you know what I'm showing? I'm not dressed for battle. I'm not ready. Ultimately, my flesh still has too much control. I'm still, it's still all about my own desires and I want to make, I want to call the shots here. That's when we suffer, when we face persecution, when we face hardship at work, at home, and we rant and we rave and we do it the wrong way. It shows we're not ready. We're not equipped for battle. And here's the thing, God is not going to put us in a position where we're going to fail. And so that thing that we say, well then, it's not fair, God's withholding that from me because I'm just not good enough. No, 
God's withholding that because you're not ready to handle it. I want to start getting ready to handle it. Today is not about guilt. So I don't want you to sit here and think about all of the times this last week you failed at this. What I want to do is focus on when we go forward. Knowing that this week at work, you're going to face some hardship. This week at home, you're going to face hardship. This week, throughout your day, you're going to face hardship and trial. I want us to be prepared to handle it well. We need to expect it, and we need to be prepared to overcome it. Where we got the idea that following Christ was going to be easy, I don't know. We already read what Jesus told Peter was going to happen to him. Remember what he told James and John. Well, let's read 1 Peter first. Be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Some people say, well, you know, maybe I don't want a lot of praise when Jesus returns. I mean, if that means that I don't have to suffer as much here, can I tell you this? When you see him eyeball to eyeball, you will want that. Knowing what he has suffered for you, you will want to offer back to him something. Even though our best efforts offered back to him are going to be like head hung in shame anyway. Okay? We don't want to stand there with nothing. Saying, you know, Jesus, I was just content to live a happy, good life on earth. And, you know, I didn't want a whole lot of that suffering stuff in my life. So, you know, I'm sorry. I have not really nothing. I don't, want to, I don't have anything to give you right now. But uh, that's just because I wanted the path of least resistance. Really, that's what you want to say when you stand before the one who was pierced for you? I don't. And so I say, God, whatever you've qualified me for. And here's the thing. We talked about the Israelites going into the promised land. There were times in the scripture where it's recorded that God told the Israelites to go around a certain country because they weren't prepared for that battle. And he knew that if they faced that, they would get afraid and then they would fall back and want to go back to Egypt. So God didn't lead them into every hardship and trial that was possible. There were some that he took them around. But the ones that he led them to, he knew that they could overcome. They just didn't. They complained. They whined. You brought us out in this desert to die. There's no water. I mean, as if the God who just took the Red Sea and went, can't provide water? And in our lives, when people pull out in front of us or we get a belligerent customer at work or something just happens in in our lives and someone just is rude to us or they're they're mistreating us or they're speaking against us and it's true, it's untrue, it's lies. And we feel that need to rise up and defend ourselves. We don't have to. Picture his hands with the world in it. He's led you here. He can lead you through. Jesus, when James and John come to him and say, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand. We want those great positions in the kingdom. I mean, when you tell Jesus you want a position in your kingdom, he's going to offer it. But you might not like the pill that he gives. You don't know what you're asking, he says. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? He's talking about the cross. Oh, yes, They replied, we are able. 
You know, I picture a church singing, we are able to go out and take the country. We get all excited on Sunday morning in church. Then we go out and criticize the person, our waitress, because she's slow. Every time we come to this restaurant, they're slow. I don't understand it. I mean, we're able to take giants. We just can't handle a little inconvenience. And it proves we're not qualified to go anywhere yet. And all I want us to do is to get qualified for what he has for us. Jesus told the disciples plainly, I have told you all this so that you will have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what you call a confrontation sandwich. Boom. You tell somebody something good, tell them something they don't want to hear, and then you sandwich it with something good. If you ever have to confront someone in life and tell them something hard to hear, that's how you do it. Tell them something encouraging, something hard, something encouraging. And it makes it better. That's what Jesus did. I've told you all this because I want you to have peace. By the way, you're going to have all kinds of trials and troubles. But hey, take heart, I've overcome the world. I have peace. He's overcome the world. And then we get in the middle of the trial and all we think about is the trial. No peace, no overcome the world. Picture of the world in the hands, gone. Poof. Most important of all, Peter says. Most important of all, continue to show deep love. See, the hardships that we face help us to be, remember what he said, finished with sin. Finished with sin. How many of you would like to be finished with sin? Do you know where sin comes from? The desires within us. I want to do it my way. So Peter goes off into this discourse about loving others. Showing hospitality. Using our spiritual gifts. Not using my spiritual gifts for my preference. But using my spiritual gifts for his will and for the benefit of others. I don't use the gifts God has given me to do what I want to do. I use them to do what He wants me to do and what will be the best benefit for other people. That's the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be finished with sin, to make a break from sin. This, this finished with sin does not mean that there, we're going to live this uh, perfected lifestyle here on earth. As long as we have this sinful body, we're going to wrestle with sin. We're going to struggle with sin. But we can overcome it as we crucify the desires of our flesh. We're finished with sin and we're now anxious to do His will. Anxious to do His will. How many of us are anxious to do His will like a kid at Christmas? I mean, how many of us sit around and think, man, I just can't wait to do the will of God today. No, we're anxious to get home and watch the game that's on TV and we're anxious to get to the store and get that deal or we're anxious to you know, do this other things, but we're not anxious to do the will of God. Why are we not anxious to do the will of God? Why? Because we're not yet finished with sin because we haven't armed ourselves with the same attitude that Christ has. We don't realize what we're here for. And I want my anxiousness to do His will to rise up a little bit and the anxiousness for other stuff to get down a little bit. That's why Peter says we need to move from being selfish to being selfless. 
And that's why he breaks out into this discourse. James tells us clearly, I already told you this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? They come from the evil desires that war within you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Think about all of the church fights throughout history over the really important issues of of life, like programs, preferences, and decoration. It's all about preference. All about preference. And the reason that the church isn't stepping into the glory of the Lord and what God has prepared for us is because we're all too concerned about our preference. I mean, God has given me this gift. Let me use it. Not let me use it for his glory, let me use it for the benefit of others. Because if it's, if it's truly from a servant's heart and someone says, hey, I know God has gifted you in this way, but would you just sit here and do this right now? I know that that's not what you've intended or planned, and I know that that was not your goal and what you had in mind, but would you just, no, I have this gift. You must let me use it, therefore. You know, sometimes God takes the gift and he tells us to sit down on a shelf somewhere. You remember Joseph? Joseph, here's a dream that your mother and your brothers and all these people are going to bow down to you. By the way, I'm going to put you in slavery. You know how much Joseph could have gotten offended at God during that time? Or offended at his brothers during that time? After all, his brothers are the ones that sold him there, right? No, read Joseph's words. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. You know what Joseph had in his mind? The picture of God holding the world in his hands. God gave me the dream. He's going to come back. He's going to finish the dream. Oh, by the way, prison, falsely accused. It's not getting better for poor Joseph. His desires had to cease. They had to be crushed. So that when he was put in that position of second command in Pharaoh, he could be trusted. Because God knew that his brothers were going to come along and if there was any bit of vengeance left in Joseph's heart, he was going to kill all 12 of the tribes of Israel. That's a problem. God's entire plan for the nation of Israel rested on the fact that Joseph could forgive his brothers. So Joseph didn't get to be king or second in command in Pharaoh until he was qualified to do it. And it all has to do with how we suffer. It's go time. You know what it means when it's go time? It's like in football when it's like the two-minute drill. You know, you ever watch a game and it's just the most boring game in the world and then all of a sudden in the last two minutes you're like, why didn't the teams do this the whole game? This is exciting. I mean, there's an intensity and there's like like an urgency because the time is about to expire and if you lose, it's over. And so in the middle of all of this, what does Peter say? The end of the world is coming soon. It's go time. We don't have time to play around. Peter says throughout his letters that the end of the world is coming soon. And he tells us over and over again how we should live knowing that Christ is about to return. How we should live knowing the world is going to be destroyed. He tells us to live as aliens and strangers. He tells us to live holy and godly lives because everything is going to be destroyed. He tells us to be self-controlled and be prayerful. These are the things he tells us because there's an urgency And as the end of the world comes, Peter knows one thing. Troubles are going to increase. Hardship is going to increase. And if you can't stand now, you won't stand then. 
If you can't take these little things, you're not gonna, when, the, when the heat gets ratcheted up, you're not going to handle it. And so Peter says, it's time to be self-controlled. It's time to be prayerful. It's time to cut out our desires, what I want. It's time to be done with sin. Can I ask you this question? How many of us, if our child was brutally murdered, stabbed to death, would keep the knife? I mean, we would say, police, I know you need that in the evidence, but I'd really like to take that home and uh, put it in a glass case and mount it above my fireplace and, and in our family room so that we can look, look at that all the time. I mean, I want to be constantly reminded of the brutality that was used on my child. Could, could you do that for me? Or, or better yet, uh, just clean it up the best you can, and I will, I'd like to take it home, and every day I'd like to use it to cut vegetables to be constantly reminded of what my child went through. No, we wouldn't want that. So why do we take the very things that crucified our Lord and entertain them in our lives? Because it, weren't, it wasn't nails, it wasn't, it wasn't a whip, it wasn't a crown of thorns that put Jesus on that cross. That was the vehicle, but it was sin and rebellion that put him on the cross. Those are the very things that crucified the one that we sing to and say, he's my Lord, he's my all, he's my everything, and we celebrate the very things that crucified him. It's time to be finished with sin. It's time to exercise self-control, and the only way that's going to happen is to be prayerful. Because we can't do it on our own. The word that the Lord gave us today, you can't do it without me. You need to ask me. You need to ask me for the grace to be self-controlled. So Peter says, it's time to ratchet this up because the end of the world is coming soon. So are we armed and ready? Are we armed and ready? Are we ready to have the same attitude that Christ had? Are we ready to face the judgment seat of Christ when he returns? Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And everything is going to be tested by fire to check the quality of the work we've done on earth. I want to be qualified. I want to be quality. I don't want my life to burn up thinking that, you know, I was, Lord, I did so good. I went to church and look at all the accomplishments and look at all the stuff. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to show me a picture of traffic. I mean, think about it. We, we do so, you say, why do you keep talking about traffic? Because it reveals something. I know you, we think it's a small thing, but it reveals something. Because when we, we, can, we can clean up all nice and we can hide all of the stuff that's lurking inside of us, but when someone pulls out in front of us in traffic and that's where the rubber meets the road. Because everything gets exposed. And once again, instead of just sitting there and going, oh, Man, I'm so not qualified. I want you to get in your car and I want you to be self-controlled and I want you to pray. And I want you to say, God, qualify me today as I drive. Wouldn't that make a difference? I mean, if we would stop going to work and just doing it aimlessly and we went into work expecting someone to push our buttons that day. Expecting those customers to come in that are just kind of just... And saying, God, I, need the, I want to be qualified today. So when they come, 
I don't want to defend myself. I don't want to complain about it in the break room. I don't want to yell. I want to be qualified. I want to be ready. And then when the big stuff comes, we're ready to carry that because we've been prepared through the little things. Armed and ready. Because here's the thing. I think God has more in store for every one of us in this room than we currently walk in. I believe that. I believe God has places for you to minister, not even just in this body, but in this city, beyond what you're even thinking and imagining right now. Every one of us. I believe it. And the only thing that's standing in our way is us walking in more obedience to Him. Being qualified. Not being qualified in the sense that now you've earned it, but being qualified in the sense that now you can handle it. Because I know we look at, uh, we look at uh, prophets and we look at uh, people that have these great ministries in the world and we're like, man, I wish I could lay my hands on people and see them healed and I wish I, 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 wish I could give prophetic words to people and I wish, I, I wish those gifts flowed in my life with greater intensity. And I promise you, if you will sit down with people like that that, have, 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 that are walking in that type of ministry, they will talk to you about the season to get into that. The qualifications that it took, the the hardship that they had to suffer and work through. Because while we look at the outside and we look at all of the, the glitz and the glamour of stuff, I promise you that there's a cost. Because when you step into the position that God has for you, the enemy ratchets up the heat in your life. He puts a target on you because now that you have influence with your family and now that you have influence with coworkers and now that you have influence with other people, if he can get you to fall, boom, domino effect. He can hit everybody else around you. And if you're not qualified to handle that, if you're not ready to step into that position and take the heat, God's not going to put you there. That would be cruel. How we suffer determines how qualified we are conscious of his will are you with me i want to be finished with sin you too which means crucifying our flesh there are obviously some action steps that we have to take in order to do that but what i want us to do is i want us to pray because at the end of the day we need his grace to help us with this and so Father, we today just come before you. And God, we believe right now that you are literally holding this world in your hands. You are sustaining all life on this planet right now. We know that there is absolutely nothing that we will face today or this week that you are unaware of. And we trust that you have fully equipped us, that you have given us everything that we need to be victorious. You have given us everything that we need to take every hardship, to take every wrong word spoken to us, to take everything that comes at us this week and overcome it. To not retaliate, To not go into a defensive mode or attack mode. But God, you've given us the ability. You've given us the ability to overcome. 
we need your grace today. We want your peace. We want your peace to guard our hearts. You promised us that you've told us all of this so that we would have peace. We want that peace. In the midst of all of these trials and troubles and tribulations and hardships that are coming, we want your peace. And we want to know that you've overcome the world. Make us aware of those things in the midst of everything that we face this week. As we close this morning, I don't want to ask how many of you even this week have blown it. My guess is every hand probably should go up. I doubt there's a one of us that in the last 30 days haven't handled some type of adversity incorrectly. And so I don't want us to to focus on where we've been. I want to focus on where we need to go. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I want to be qualified. I want to handle adversity well. I want to be finished with sin. I want to crucify my desires. I want to grow up in the kingdom. And I want you to count the cost. Because all of those things sound really nice, but I want you to think back to everything I shared today. Because there's a cost associated with this. I mean, it's worth it, but I want you to count the cost. In the same way that Jesus told everyone that that tried to follow after him, hey, count the cost. Be sure that you want to be in this thing. Because that means when people get in your face, you don't get to fight back. You don't get to do what you desire anymore. You don't get to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you the way you want to use them now. You've got to use them the way He asks you to use them. You've got to use them the way that maybe is a, a preference for someone else and not a preference for yourself. Because it's no longer about me. It's about Him and it's about others. And if you can weigh that cost and you can say, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I hear what He's saying and I'm in. Would you stand to your feet right where you are? Say, Pastor Tom, pray for me today because I'm in. Father, we stand before you today. Not with the arrogance of Peter saying, even if everyone else falls away, God, we're not. Not with the arrogance that says, hey, we are able to do this. But God, we stand before you in humility. As broken vessels knowing that we can't do this. We thank you today for putting the desire within our hearts to be qualified in your kingdom. But God, we know that the cost in front of us is great. So we look to you right now. We ask you for the grace that we need. That when we're insulted, we don't retaliate. 
that when we're mistreated, we don't fight back. That when we don't feel like we're being given the fair shake, that we trust you who judge justly. Help us to make a break from sin. Expose sin in every area of our lives. Those little things that we have rationalized and left around. Holy Spirit, make us painfully aware of the sin that we allow into our lives. We want to be finished with it. We know that the only way to be qualified is to be finished with sin. We know that the only way to be qualified is to put others first. Help us to prefer others over ourselves. Expose every area of pride in our lives. Father, I thank you for this army of believers that you are equipping right now. I thank you for this army of believers that is getting prepared. God, that is literally putting on the battle armor they need to overcome the onslaughts of the enemy. God, I thank you in advance for the things that are going to take place in this community, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. As we just learn to submit ourselves more fully to you, Now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd give us those steps that we need to take. Show us what to do next. Holy Spirit, impress upon our hearts and our minds, even now, those things that you want us to deal with. And then give us the grace and the courage to deal with them completely. Father, seal this word in our hearts that your peace would guard our hearts and minds throughout this week ahead. That your victory would resonate in our hearts and our minds throughout this week ahead so that we can overcome every adversity that comes our way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would want to spend some more time in prayer, you can certainly do that. If you would like someone to pray with you, our pastoral staff will be here. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, If you need to be dismissed, uh, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend a few more moments in prayer and uh, save your visiting for the foyer area. God bless you as you go.